How about that for titles? That's very apt. Yes. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this episode of DHTV with my brilliant friends and disability champions, Mick Scarlett and Zach Richardson. And this week, as you probably were aware, thanks to the flood of social media, uh, we're touching on the hot topic of Brexit. What it means for the community of disability and care, what's going to happen, the positives and the negatives, because in any big decision like this, there, of course, will be both. This isn't about who is right or who is wrong, but both communities are feeling the effects of the referendum result and are here. We want to discuss it, hopefully, objectively. This is a balanced show. Well, it should be balanced because both Mick and Zekin will chairs, they should be equally balanced in their chairs, but disregard that. Exactly. Both the care and disabled community voted both ways in the referendum in 2016, both for their own valid, personal and important reasons. So contrary to the messages, I've been receiving a lot of them this week. This show is just trying to be factual, honest and give you clarity to both sides. We want to hear what you have to say. Please, let's see your comments, thoughts and experiences. Pass them on to Zeklatech and then whap them across right below us there. So with us tonight, help sort out what red tape is, where we can buy more red tape and so forth, what travel would mean, how we can move forward, medicines and such and such and such. There's a passionate broadcaster and EU law graduate, which is Femi. Welcome to Hey. Thank you, mate. Thank you for coming on. Really, really, really appreciate you coming on tonight. But um, I've noticed that your, your Twitter tag is Femi Sorry, and I have no idea what you need to be sorry about. Uh, that's generally because I tend to say stuff that's quite blunt, and I figured an inbuilt apology to everything I tweet would be just actual. <laughs> 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 be Femi Blunt, I love that. But no, welcome, my friend. Thank you for appearing um, with, the, with the three rattled, not very wise men. I appreciate that. Um, but Femi, yeah, can you tell us first a little bit about yourself, if that's okay, mate? Okay, so I um, studied law in Nottingham, uh, law with French, because uh, I figured um, law would be hard, so I figured I'd use my French skills to steal a law degree. Um, I then moved into EU affairs to get into EU human rights, and so I was working um, in EU advocacy at the in Brussels, working with the EU institutions, uh, uh, dealing with the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. I was working with EU officials, British members of the European Parliament, to basically push back against the sale of arms there, trying to get better human rights policy in that, relate, in that regard. So I was already in what I believe to be a battle for the soul of the UK, because I could see the EU trying to stop us doing horrible stuff. They tried to pass an arms embargo in relation to human rights. And so I basically didn't trust the UK government to do the right thing. That was before I'd even heard of the word Brexit. So when I heard that um, this Brexit thing was going on, I thought, oh, this is, this is real. Things that might get even worse than they are right now. Uh, and then I started paying attention to the conversation in 2016, and it was just really, really bad. The basics they were getting wrong on pretty much every issue. You had Nigel Farage saying that the EU forced completely uncontrolled migration when the EU Citizens' Rights Directive says the opposite. You had this narrative that we could take back control of our laws without causing any damage to the economy, when if you have differences in laws between two economies, it creates regulatory barriers, and this, especially this community has, has, has experienced the consequences of, of such barriers. So I basically tried to take on myself to just get as much information out there as possible, started using Twitter, started um, uh, calling up Nigel Farage on his radio show, eventually left uh, my work in on the continent to come back to the UK and try and deal with Brexit full time. Uh, and well, uh, we had, then we had an election instead of a referendum and we all know how that went. Yes, exactly. But no, no, just thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's just a great pleasure to have you. But as if we rewind a bit back to referendum kicked off in 2016, and I want to go to Mick with this one, because obviously Mick's the well-sourced, good-looking guy that I know and love. And of course, uh, Emily's post 
punk father. Yes, yes exactly. I am, Not really, I am, I am, just, just yeah, 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 yes. yeah. Anyway, as a well-sourced guy in the medium, Mick, when initial campaigns kicked off, both sides, well, they both kicked off at the same time. There's a lot of mud, a lot of confusion. Do you feel that disability was left out of all the conversations, out of the equation, throughout all the shouting and the rhetoric? Well, it always is, and it really was that time. Um, uh, you know, I, I class myself as someone that did quite a lot of research. Um, I didn't just vote because of what I believed. I also wanted to make sure that I was voting in a kind of selfish way. Uh, and I found that lots of stuff that seemed to be really important, not only to disabled people, but to older people and to anyone with any kind of long-term illness, um, wasn't being mentioned um, at all. And to, the, to, to be honest, it still hasn't. You know, I continuously find something new <laughs> that I'm going to face. Um, uh, and you just think, well, how, how, how did this get by? How did we allow this? And um, I think when we did raise stuff, it was very much that we were told, and we still told, that we're kind of project fearing, you know, being worried. Of course, they're going to let you in. Of course, this isn't going to happen. Of course, there's going to be drugs flowing freely and all this kind of stuff. And and um, that's not the case, you know. Uh, so, yeah, and, I mean, the, the, the Remain argument handled it very badly. You know, they, they were very sure that they were going to win, so they kind of went, we don't care, no one's going to want to leave. And uh, that left it open for misinformation. Um, I mean, you know, you only really need to think about the bendy banana argument. I used to uh, start taking photographs of bananas during this phase and just put them online saying, oh, my God, I found another bent one. <laughs> How did this get by? Because I've never seen a straight banana. You know, it's not a cucumber. Uh, so, but, you know, it, it, it was... So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, we're left out of most debates. Um, and this was a really big one that I don't think many disabled people who who voted, who followed the, the sort of zeitgeist and voted to leave, understood what it was going to do to their lives and, and what it meant for not only their generation, but future generations of disabled people. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, Zach, do you think... Because we obviously know that a portion of the several community voted to leave. Do you think them casting that vote was their way of a sort of like a, a kickback at the government in order to throw a spoon into the works of the government? Obviously, because the community has been put put down upon for so long, we've had so much cast against us. Do you think that that portion of the community kicked back at the government by casting, saying, "Yeah, we're going to leave. We're really going to put a spanner in your works." I don't know. I mean, initially, I'm going to say I was all for leave until I read. And like anyone that did actually read the facts, they realised it was a mistake. Um, I feel that the way disabled people voted leave, possibly, is through the 350... Was it £350 million on the bus? Was that the yeah. figure? Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people, disabled and the chronic health, were like, oh because it affects us, you know, our health is poor, this could impact us, this could be good. And I think they use that as a lasso to get disabled people to vote. For yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a yeah. good point. I, I never even thought that, that, the implications of the bus. But, um, but that, that's, and that's, enti that's entirely reasonable because, I mean, yeah. um, I know that despite uh, my EU background, when I saw that £350 million a, a week um, for the NHS line, 
I genuinely questioned my position uh, because I thought, all right, I know that we do send money effectively to the EU. I know that theoretically, if we didn't do that, that money could go on the NHS. I love the NHS. Therefore, maybe Brexit is the right thing. But then I had to stop and think, hang on, I've just spent three years studying about how, A, um, if we don't have the same laws as the rest of the EU, then it co- creates a massive regulatory burden and, dam- and damages trade, which will damage the economy, which means there'll be less money overall. Secondly, because of how the EU spends money together, those 28 countries, um, uh, for example, the Galileo project, which is the GPS system, uh, which the EU, EU ran, that cost um, 5.6 billion to set up. Um, and we planned, we planned to, no, sorry, no, 8.4 billion to set up. And that was put between 28 countries. We then planned to do it by ourselves at a cost of 1.7 billion, I believe. So we're not exactly saving money. Um, so even though we might send money to the EU, ultimately they'll be fit for things that we end up having to pay for anyway, simply at a higher cost because we're not splitting the tab anymore. So it's very understandable why people who didn't happen to have that academic background would have seen that number and genuinely believed it. Yeah, because I, I can imagine, I mean, uh, for, for my answers, obviously, I, I, I didn't be, believe a word of it. I mean, all, all of us here study politics. Obviously, we're not as in-depth with it, and it's not as knowledgeable as you, family, but obviously that all of us looked at it and went, hmm, yeah, okay. But there probably was an understanding through a lot of people in the community, carers and disabled people in extreme poverty isolation. We thought, yeah, that this, that, yeah that, that's exactly what I need. That That's, that's speaking to me. But then... It was all done, all sorted, and then I think the one thing we can all agree on is that the deal brokered by Boris and everyone was just rushed and ill thought through. I mean, Femi, do you think that better trade and an overall better outcome could have been reached if we had longer to thrash out a deal? Do you think it would have been possible to longer or longer time to thrash out a deal? Would it be more beneficial if we have had longer time to sort this? The key limiting factor on the quality of the Brexit deal we ended up with was not time, it was ideology. Mm, if, okay. the, if, if, if the aim, if, if even if they had years to sort this out, the issue wasn't the time, the issue was the red lines. The issue was the basic principle of we need to be, we need to take back control of our laws, we need to have complete regulatory independence from the EU, therefore we want to make it so that stuff that we make here has to conform with our laws anything that comes in has to then pass through those reg- those root those hoops in order to get into our market that's what taking back control means it means setting up walls so if that's your if that's if those are your red lines it doesn't matter how long you spend on the deal you're just you're still going to damage the economy yes there are some things that are down to pure incompetence um, which which have caused damage but ultimately the, the type of ideology behind Brexit meant there was never going to be a version of this that wasn't going to be pain-free. Yeah, okay. pain-free. Gotcha. So, so it doesn't matter how long it took then, that everything was already set in stone, those walls were already waiting to crumble at any point, any point then. So that's just as bad. But like you said, the red tape has been cast. Uh, things are harder to transport and export. I mean, Mick, um, Yourself, personally, have you or anyone that you know experienced difficulties in regard to obviously the implications of red trade with getting equipment or medication since this deal was put in place? Uh, I, I mean, I think the answer to that is yes, uh, and I think that most people that I have talked to about this have had problems. Uh, originally, it was with medication. When you could tell that there was this kind of stockpiling going on, um, it suddenly became really hard to get medication you'd go to the chemistry your prescription and you'd get 
some of it and then go, well, we haven't got, we haven't got all of that. To, we can't give you all of it now. We'll, we'll give you, come back again in a week. And it was really weird. Um, I don't know anyone else. I also found the quality of my medication went down. I think they were buying cheaper stuff from other places. So I would take a tablet and it would be strong. And the next time I take one, I didn't feel like there was as much in it as there was before, which is a bit weird. But the main one I've experienced, and I've experienced it most recently, is I have just bought a new wheelchair. Uh, and it came a month and a half late. And it was purely Brexit delays. And I don't think people understand that one of the things is, is wheelchairs all have to be tested. They have to be given kite marks. They have to be made sure they're safe. And if we don't align with Europe, then what it will mean is, is that all of the chair manufacturers to sell to the UK will have to have a UK certificate like the kite mark, the EU kite mark. And we, as English companies, will have to do the same as well. We will get ours and then have to get an EU one. And I had some friends that used to run um, a sort of startup wheelchair company that had this really fantastic design. But it was the cost of getting these um, tests, these certificates, to sell to America, to Canada, to Australia, to Europe, that became prohibitively expensive. And so they went bust. And I think that it's it's another, you know, we don't have enough of a market for people to be able to absorb extra costs. You know, you, you know, <laughs> wheelchairs are not cheap. Um, and it, the last thing we need is another, you know, 500 quid bunging on a chair just because we needed to have it tested to be exactly the same as it would be in, say, yeah. France. You know, my, my chair came from Spain. So, you know, once upon a time, it was fine. And and there's loads of other stuff. I mean, things like going abroad. If you go abroad with your medication now, you've gone back to the time when you had to take a letter explaining what your medication is because you're not an EU citizen, whereas before you could just go abroad with your medication. It didn't matter. There's so much like that that we don't appreciate. But um, it's kind of, you don't really know where to start. <laughs> no, it's, it's like you don't know what you've got till it's gone again, isn't it? You don't know what you've got yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's yeah, a Zek, have you seen any repercussions of anything in regards to your equipment or medication? Anything at all? Because as as far as far as I'm concerned, obviously we had issues with Emily's chair, which I'll touch upon in a minute. But what's it been like for you or anyone you know? Do you know what? I've I've done what a lot of disabled people have done, and I know through speaking to them, I, I stopped piled up on my meds where I shouldn't have. But so I had a month's grace at least yep. in case yep. anything went wrong. I hadn't considered what Mick said. I've had a really rough year when my pain's been out of control. I've just not been well. And I hadn't considered that maybe the meds mm. are yeah. changed. You know, as you know, I, I, I've reviewed a lot of beard care stuff. And speaking to them, that falls under cosmetics umbrella. And that was EU-based. There was a database of what it should be, and it was all controlled. Well, they've, they've severed it, and they've set up a new UK one. So if this is the same for meds, the grief that it's caused these beard care brands and cosmetic brands mm. is massive and it also means that we're not in control of what they do and vice versa to keep it on the same sort yeah. of level for safety and so i hadn't considered what mick had said there no that's mick's raised a really good point because because um, obviously my daughter emily is is, is has chronic pain in, in her legs and stuff like that. but you two suffer incredibly with chronic pain so if your meds are being tempered and watered down or if you're seeing one that's good high and one that's good low, and that, that's having a real effect because obviously you, you know, yeah. that's just that's just not really what. But I'd it's also it. fraud, isn't there? Fraud well, for medication is okay. high. 
I think what it is, is it's one of those things where, it, you know, you, you buy your stuff from a good quality company. It does everything the way it's meant to do. But then when stocks low get low, when it does get hard to get stocks, when, you know, governments are thinking, well, we better stockpile because then what you do is you spread your uh, kind of search for uh, companies to get you medication. And so some of them have just got lower standards do you know what i mean yeah. and, and if you've already then said well our standards might not be what the standards were before then those companies are going to be thinking oh this might be our in um so they're they're now you know uh, approved suppliers um and yeah no i've definitely had pain meds where i have taken one dose and gone blimey this is strong and then the next dose and it's been like well this don't i don't actually feel like i've got anything at all and um you know and, and i've i always look at the boxes see where they're made and you think oh no it's a box of them oh right i better be careful with these because oh, well, best, you know, best yeah. boy sort of thing yeah best of yeah, boy but it, yeah as, as i said going back to what you're saying look about equipment obviously you know the story of emily's wheelchair, yes, my daughter's yeah. wheelchair for ages because spare parts and screws that were just held up for red tape but that's not the only concern. For instance, I was contacted by a really good friend of mine, Mick, probably, you know, Stacey Paris. She's a double amputee, yeah. really successful model, who's told me the forms and customs for entry to the country have been a complete and utter minefield for a supplier. The company that ordered her prosthetic legs. I've had to send them back multiple times mm. for uh, price points, etc. And what they used to do in a day now turns into a month. It yep. turns out she's only got one. This, this is where it sounds ridiculous. She's got one foot in this country. And one foot stuck in Europe at customs. I mean, but that's quite literally. There's a joke there. Whole power chairs stuck across the continent. So like I said spares for Emily's wheelchair, which caught, which is sadly, hopefully, not going to affect her post scoliosis surgery because obviously this wheelchair is still making her lean. But then I suppose there's other things, little screws for doors, little things that build the materials that people want their houses built excessively. I mean, Femi, can you just? If you could throw this all at you, this massive content, could you just clarify what is actually causing the delays? Is is it paperwork? Is it red tape? I mean, just across the board, what what's suddenly holding everything up and making everything so slow for import? So, first of all, Dan, I just want to ask regarding your daughter, because um, I've 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 seen this the story about what happened in terms of the inability to get the. Uh, wheelchair that would allow her to sit, sit up straight, which has caused the post scoliosis surgery to almost be well uh, semi undone. Yeah, is how is she? How is she now? She's a lot better now. We have managed to scrape together enough money because, as as Mick quite said, everything's gone up in price. We just had to scrape together a few thousand pounds to get her an RGK wheelchair, which is going to be fully supported for her back. We're just we've ordered that, so that's been manufactured here. So she will get that in about eight to 10 weeks. But yeah, at the minute, she this wheelchair she's got has not fit for purpose. She's lost all her independence. So there was a lot of, yeah, thank you for asking, but there's been a lot of prices paid by a lot of people for just this this Brexit red tape. I'm sorry. Um, and, and so how long would you say is the total amount of delay between when, when it should have arrived and, and what you've had to pay for now? Uh, it should have, uh, when we left the hospital, it should have been there within six weeks. It took four months mm. and then we've had to go back to them and back to them and back to them. And I would say now it's been a year, just over a year. Because that's oh, the thing wow. that's the yeah. troublesome bit, isn't it? Is it's not only waiting to get it, it's they very rarely come and they're right. They might be a bespoke chair, but yeah. it's a bit like by getting a bespoke suit that you've never tried on and yes. then finding that one leg's shorter than the other or something. Yes. And you have to, you know, you go back and say, my chair needs altering. And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to do that? Because it's got to go back to Spain. 
That's yep. gonna be fun. And then it's got to come back here. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah. There's more to it than just the delay. I mean, I'm still waiting for a backrest. But, I saw. But, yeah. But now five months late, and it will probably end up being six or seven months from order. Mm -hmm. And that's like you know. So I'm I'm sitting in a chair that's not right, but it's nearly right with with no backrest. So I'm just yeah. I'm using the fabric one that I don't normally use. But you should have to. I have. Yeah. yeah I can't get parts. Yeah, you shouldn't have to put up with okay, like you said. So, Femi, what's causing all this delay? What can you just talk us through? Because a lot of people obviously don't know about, I mean, I don't know, pass out of it, import and export, what's changed, red tape and paper. What, what's making everything just delay so long now? So, to, to go back to, to, the, to the basics, um, the role, it, pretty much every single uh, medical body um, opposed Brexit and uh, to begin with on the basis of it would cause. Um, delays in uh, in the getting of medical supplies, medical um, medicines, um, medical equipment, um, that it would damage the accessibility of NHS staff, um, and that yep. it would affect, affect drug prices as well. And there was even a letter from, I think, about nine medical unions to the government uh, in, I think, mid-2019. Um, and, that, and so we're talking the British Medical Association, the Royal College of Nurses, Royal College of Midwives, Royal, um, uh, Royal College of GPs, uh, the Royal Pharmaceutical um, uh, Society, all saying do not do this because they knew that their supply chains were in, are heavily interlinked with the rest of the EU. Um, I mean, it's, it's ironic that it was, it was um, uh, Boris Johnson, he said in Parliament, that 75% of our drugs come from EU countries. And he was saying that as an excuse to keep the borders open in relation to COVID. Yet he's the reason that we've now, we're now seeing the barriers um, as a result of Brexit. And that, that is because effectively, in reality, we've turned Calais and Dover to the, into the edge of the EU customs union. Um, which means that in terms of paperwork, in terms of applying tariffs, getting those products checked, getting those lorries checked, um, uh, um, compliance compliance checks in terms of regulation, that a lot of that now has to take place at, at, at Calais and Dover and, and, at, and at the various at various other ports. Um, and not to mention that we, we also have the issue of it's being a tariff-free deal in name, but because of rules of origin requirements, if a significant portion of the product comes from outside of the EU, then that means that tariffs then get, get put on that product. So for example, if I'm making a product in the UK that needs to get sold to the rest of the, e to the EU, but a significant portion of that, for example, the battery, for example, uh, is, um, is from say Japan or from um, America, then it'll have to go, it'll, I'll have to put tariffs, they'll put tariffs on that when it going across the border. So all that sort of extra friction, all that extra bureaucracy now takes place between us and where we get, as Boris Johnson said, 75% of our medicines. Yeah, that's, it's just, it's just incomprehensible really when you think about it. I mean, but it's just, like I said, uh, people obviously voted in good faith when they decided to vote leave or remain, but like, like, like you're going back to this red tape and stuff like that. I mean, there was that case uh, the government had to offer a six-month uh, reprieve from Brexit rules, as I understand, that stopped the importation of life-saving medical cannabis for children with epilepsy for more than 40 British children. I remember that was that was something that was rushed through. Is, is that not something that can be done for every medication, or is it just that was just like like you call it a, a special one-off? Ultimately, it, it comes down to political pressure. 
So in that mm. case, they were and they were able to get an extension. I know that with the CE mark, um, so the certification mark, the the government's given a um a an extension to that, so that business, so the UK businesses don't have to automatically all switch because they know that because businesses have been complaining. Um, but there are there are several areas where the government said, look, where do we draw the line? Um, I remember when uh, it was Bernard Jenkin and Boris Johnson were in a committee meeting and they were discussing the fact that Brexit has caused damage to uh, the ability of UK musicians to tour around Europe. And, they, and so it was requested that we get a visa scheme in to help them move across. And so Boris Johnson said, no, hang on. The whole point of Brexit was to uh, clamp down on immigration. If we if we liberalise things for the musicians, then we have to, then which sector we do liberalise it for. So there's that. Again, it comes down to the core ideology of Brexit. If you want to uh, avoid that extra red tape, those extra regulatory barriers, then you need to have some degree of regulatory um, alignment between the UK and the EU. Now, we can ask for delays to, to that, um, but ultimately, if that ideology wins out, it causes damage. And there's just no way of getting around that until we have a government that essentially discards that ideology. Yeah, I don't know when that will happen per se, though. But it's, it, but there just seems to be so much that so many people are for so many reasons. So many people are suffering in this community. Not just to say we're well, but carers as well. A lot myself as a, care, a, a person with a hidden disability looking after a disabled child. Do you know what I mean? I, I worry obviously about Emily's future with medication and stuff like that. You just keep your fingers crossed for all our children. They just stay well. All we can do is hope they just stay well. But it's not only medication stuff that, that, we're, that we're losing out on. I mean, prior to Brexit, that the UK is privy to huge financial investments and laws made by the EU to the disabled and care community in the UK with regards to access and work and even more. There was the Framework Directive for Equal Treatment and Employment and Occupation 2000, which set out to protect workers against discrimination on account of race, sexual orientation, religion, ability and so forth. There was a Euro European disability strategy, which aimed to eliminate barriers across Europe, uh, allowing disabled people through rights to inclusive education, employment, health, and so much more. I really, really could go on. But Mick, um, re regardless of that, now we're out, hmm. we're, we're, we're privy to the laws made by the UK. And we've promised, I know, we've heard this promise of a disability white paper coming up from the government. Hmm. Do you think... And the Taliban aren't going to hurt women. <laughs> ...will man up and independently continue where the EU left off with all these things that we've lost? Well, it would be lovely to think that they might. But if we go on the track record that we've seen, we haven't exactly had a golden era for disabled people in the last few years. Um and you know even someone like myself that doesn't really have much need for social care um has seen the way that you know the 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 very little interaction i have with the benefit system has become a nightmare uh you know a horrific experience and so you kind of think well if that's what it's like already you know no amount of disability strategy and promises that england's going to be the most accessible country in europe and and you know and uh, sadiq khan saying london's going to be the most accessible city in europe and it's like well, it's not the most accessible city in in england so it's got a long way to go and it's sort of like it's very easy to say this stuff but there never seems to be any actual action 
And so I know, I know that, you know, there was about to be a, um, a new kind of whole regulatory body, body brought in about disability equality into the EU. And we were all waiting, you know, what people who work in this field were thinking, great, we can use this. Poof, gone. And so now we're back to trusting our government, who are the ones that kind of gave us the Equality Act and the Disability Discrimination Act, that we know uh, had so many holes in it because business have asked them to be there. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much to worry about, um, to be honest. I mean, talking, someone's just saying about finding PAs and carers, you know, that, that's a, a huge issue. My neighbour downstairs uh, used to have 24 hour a day living care and they were all mostly from Eastern Europe and they were mostly uh, trainee doctors and trainee nurses uh, because part of their education system was you could, you, you could come here and work uh, in social care and that would work towards your exam because you've obviously been dealing with patients in a personal one-to-one -one way which was great because it meant we had highly skilled PAs and st support staff and they were getting the benefit of getting paid to study and it added towards brilliant you know now that's kind of that's another one gone so there's and there's no way you know what what how's the guarantee that you're going to replace that with equally skilled equally passionate people that can see the benefit of what they do it's not just a crappy bad paid job you know, yeah. and so there's 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 loads. To be honest, this is always one of those subjects. As soon as you start talking about it, you just want to run screaming around the room, going ah. Yeah. So um, yeah. No, no I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, think, I think someone equated that the, with the new disability white paper that the levelling up the disabled community equated to an extra one pound twenty nine per person in a disabled community. So well, yeah. everything in, uh, everything in yeah, that strategy. What, you gonna, Zek, what would you do with your extra one pound twenty nine? It's going to be cake. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's but not, but that... not any of that foreign cake. It'll be no, a nice no. dotty cake or something Got from, from the, British you know, Waters. A Chelsea bun or something like yeah. that. None of those croissants. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is, you know. But I've gone and lost my train of thought now. It's <laughs> you know, this whole, sorry, this whole thing about disability anyway. I mean, we're already on the back foot, you know. You look, ministers of year after year after year voted against giving us a pay rise in line with inflation. And inflation is galloping ahead, especially now products are going to get even dearer likely because of all this shipping costs. I mean, somebody posted the other day on Twitter, lorry driver, went into work, I've got a £7 an hour pay rise. Mm -hmm. So this is going to hit everything we have. And already we're scrimping and scraping to get by so another £1.29, it's not going to do anything for us. We're just slowly sinking. It's scary. I know, because we, we always, I mean, both communities, I mean, obviously my carer's allowance of, of, of £67 a week is not going to see much of a rise. But, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, that's what the tragedy, that's what was the whole point of this debate tonight, is about why Brexit's happened, the effects, but why are we always left out of the equations of political and social arguments? I mean... But that aside, we could, like you said, we could run with that all night. There have obviously yeah. been off the medication and, and stuff like that, and, and the equipment. There's obviously been travel. I mean, Femi and Mick, yeah, you, you, not, you, yeah. both, you both travel Im immensely. I mean, there has been a um, lot of embargoes now put on travel. I mean, Femi, have you obviously you you've been through all this scenario? Come kind of straight back to you again with another load of words, but. How has our travel been affected now? Going, and I'll come to you in a minute, Mix. I know you've got some brilliant bits on to sell us, but how has travel been affected for people generally? Uh, so, generally speaking, there's going to there, there there 
in the process of implementing new visa charges um, uh, for UK citizens travelling to the EU. Uh, as for the issue of um, working in other countries, again, that requires applications for visas. I know that um, in the sector, for example, the season air sector, where uh, young Brits would go to um, EU countries and uh, work in hotels over, over the winter or over the summer, uh, that was... that. Uh, I remember I worked with one of the employers who worked over there and he said he basically has to um, put the job up for eight weeks to sh and then essentially to prove that no French person or mm -hmm. EU citizen mm -hmm. could otherwise have done the job. And then um, and then once they've applied, then has to go to apply for the visa. And it's a whole process that can take up to about take usually two months would be optimistic. Uh, whereas it's whereas it used to be immediate um, for um, uh, as, a, as when we were EU citizens. Um, so that's that. Um, as for the issue of immigration in general, um, it's important to remember that once you move to a um, a points based system, it's it's not the same level of attraction. Because if you know prior to Brexit, if you're a carer, a doctor, a nurse. Um, from an EU country, from Germany, from Spain, you know that if you come to the UK, you can move there, take up employment, you can bring your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you can start a life there together, and they'll be able to find work easy, you can rebuild your life on the other side of the channel. That stops, because what if your spouse, your significant other, doesn't have the points to then come to, to, to join you now? That sort of thing means that prior, I mean, prior to Brexit from 2016, EU citizens made up 5% of the UK population, but 10% of our doctors. So mathematically, literally keeping the UK population alive. And now we've essentially said and said to them, no, we don't think you're worth coming here. Um, and that's been the narrative from um, the Brexit camp, treating immigration as this massive problem as the main thing after years of austerity. Um, and that's, Kind of problem. That's just. I mean, that's. Just, I mean, that's just dreadful. I mean, I know. I want to. If it's possible, all right. Delve into that a bit more in a minute. But the yeah, points-based system, which just seems wholly inappropriate to, to label someone surely as a points rather than a human being. But Mick, I know you wanted to talk mm. much a bit on on travel because yeah. you well, travel a lot across. You've worked yeah. in a lot of countries. Well, I, I used to do a lot of work in the EU, and I was hired to work on the 2024 Paris Games. Uh, and it obviously happened after Brexit, but before when it was still looked like we were going to have some kind of you know actual negotiation and that kind of deal. But as it became more and more obvious that it wasn't, um, basically, as uh, Femi said, you know, part of the EU policy is that if you've got a job, you've got to make sure that an EU citizen uh, won't do it or isn't, you know, they can't fill it with an EU citizen before going outside the EU. So now we're outside the EU. Um, I lost that job, partly because um, the idea that I'm the only person on the planet that could do it is a bit disingenuous. I'm great. I'm not that great. Um, but also because there are lots of other things that come into force when I'm a, I'm a freelance consultant. So then there's all things about like, well, we will need to insure you. What about healthcare? Are you disabled? Ah, right. And depending on which country you're in, depends on how their healthcare insurance system works. And of course, in in Paris, they, you know, in France, it's very much that employers are requested to pay towards the health of their employees. And even though I was a freelancer, the way that the French system works, it means that they would have had to pay into my healthcare package, which I didn't need to do when I was an EU citizen. Um, and so suddenly, I became ex you know much more expensive much more difficult. There'd have to be a whole new 
system of finding out that I was the right person because we've asked every other person in the entire of Europe. Um, because they came to me. They said, we want you. We, we know that you're the right person for this job. But that all went. So that job went. And that, you know, that's that's probably cost me 30 grand already. You know, by the time 2024 goes, I've got no idea how much it would have cost me. And it meant that I don't have the ability to look back in, you know, for three years time and say, see, Paris, I was involved in this. Do you see yeah. what I mean? It's also that thing of being, of seeing benefits that, you know, your work pays off. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we always talk about disabled people as if they're always all on benefits. And some are, but some aren't. Some want to study. Some want to go to university. You know, it's, you know, I, I'm working with, uh, I've worked with a couple of uh, disabled people that both studied in Europe. Um, and it was fantastic for them. One of them started in Barcelona, lucky devil. And that's, you know, really accessible. They're fluent in Spanish and Catalonian. It's, wow, I'm so jealous. That's gone. Because there's all this extra stuff. Because people don't appreciate that lots of countries in the world have reserved the right to refuse you entry if you are disabled because of the fact you may put a strain on their healthcare system, you may have a, an illness or a disease that is transmittable and they don't want to bring it in. So there's loads of stuff. You know, you can't just go and emigrate, for example, to Canada. They won't accept you. You know, you have to jump through hoops to live in America, same with Australia. And now what we've done is we've done that to Europe as well. We, we're now, you know, in that situation. And, you know, I, I was genuinely thinking of retiring to Barcelona. And now that that dream is probably gone because of the fact that there's so much stuff to do that um, it becomes much harder to do, much more expensive. And and like I said, you know, I, I bowl up with a spinal cord injury, which has all other stuff involved. And they can just say, well, we don't want you. In, we don't want you as a burden on our healthcare system. And yeah. you know, I, I mean, yeah. If you're if you're rich, great. But if you're just a normal Joe, you're screwed. Uh, and loads of people don't know that. They don't know that if they go on holiday, the the country can just go. I'm ever so sorry, but you're going to be a drain on our healthcare system. So off you go and not let you in. You yeah. know, <laughs> and that can happen anywhere. It doesn't happen very often because no one wants to be the country that is refusing tourists. You know, oh, I'm old. I've got a heart problem. Now nah, we're not letting you in. You might snuff it over while you're over it. But that could happen, and it. We gave that right. That, we asked that to happen. We voted for that to happen. It didn't used to be that way. And so it's scary. No, it, it is very scary. And of course, obviously, we're, we're with Emily growing up now. Emily's yeah. uh, 15. And I just fear that her right to travel has been obviously thrashed right away from her. I mean, obviously, she's very good, Gary. very outgoing, very confident. Would like to go exploring, would like to go abroad. But it, it pains me with all that's gone. Uh, like the health cards and stuff, and insurance, the medical health card, uh, just, just where we go from here. But I'm, I'm fascinated. Like Sorry, Mick? I was going to say, the education thing, I always think of Emily, because she struck me as the kind of person that, if she could go to uni, might be the kind of person to go, hey, can I go to Barcelona? Dad? That'd be yeah. brilliant. Because it is accessible, and it's, it's very liberating. If you're disabled and you go to Barcelona, it's like, oh, you mean I can get on all the tubes and the buses yeah. and all the places are accessible and everyone has a toilet and, and everyone's really welcoming. What? This is weird. Um and and it changes your view on the world. You see what's possible, um, yeah. and it, you know it, that's something that that it's going to be a much bigger fight. And many people, especially those people that don't have large incomes, that haven't got you know rich parents and trust funds, aren't going to be able to experience. And that's I just think that's really sad. No, this points-based system, Dan. This this points-based yeah. system reminds me of that joke about the body having an argument 
over right. which part of it is most important. Do you remember that one? And the head no. saying to me, I've got the brain, so I'm in charge because without me, you couldn't think. The lungs is like, well, it's it's got to be me. I'm the most important because I bring all the threat. And they go through, and it turns out in the end that the arse is the most important because it goes <laughs> in a strike. The brain freezes up. They can't breathe properly. And it's like the point system, not calling lower skilled workers also. But you know what I mean? Without yeah, those, yeah. that chain, without the lower ones, and if they're not classed as skilled workers and getting the points, yet they're more vital than the bloody lawyers and the bankers. Well, that, no, that, no, that, no, exactly. I mean, I mean, there is a health and care visa, isn't there, for those who, with the job offer, you know, for, for skilled health job, but the list doesn't include care workers. And I know yeah. as a care worker myself and the care workers I work with. We're, See, we're but this this is the all. problem. This is the problem with the word carer, right? We need to get rid of it. I hate the word. You are a support worker yeah. or a PA or, yeah. or you, you provide assistance. And so you make it a career. You make it a job. You make it a carer is what mummies do for their babies, right? And we've got – that's why we so – we, so when you say I'm coming over to provide support, professional support for a disabled or older person, then it becomes a skilled job. It's not wiping asses and bringing someone tea. It's actually medical needs. It's a care. It's a whole – package of support yeah. and we need to really promote that because that's the only way that we're going to be able to get around this yeah. one we need to pay them well pay them properly yes. so that people here will not go do you know what that might be a career for me i think that's a good job that would be great yeah. wonderful to meet people and work with them and help them be independent um we need to fight again for something like the independent living fund you know if we're going to be separate then let's let's do it our own way let's let's Look at the things that we did before that worked. The Independent Living Fund was a great idea. We need to bring that back. And then, you know, it needs to be that we champion and praise and support the people that are providing this. Don't say, oh, it's a low-skilled job, because it bloody isn't. No, it's not a low-skilled job. A lot of us do it 24-7, but we're... We've covered so much ground. I wish we could carry on with this or not, because I think there's just a plethora of stuff we could do. But obviously, the, the die has been cast. We are out. And like I said, people who voted leave in our community had their very good, valid reasons. And, and, and I, I appreciate that. But obviously, now there's division. And Femi, what can we do? Is there an answer? Can the country heal? Can we come back together? I mean, I don't know what the answer is. A, a second referendum, go back to the negotiating table, change of government. What, what do you think? Do you think there is a future of unification for people who voted leave and people who voted remain so in terms of the divisions uh the longer we go on on the current path the worse things get because the more damage gets done and the, the then that means that the last time we had that we had a conversation about this was essentially 2016 to that to 2019 in which in which the people on the other side of the argument were still saying this is what we want so it means that every time we see damage it's like half the population saying to you yes i want you to suffer and that mm. creates that sort of division. So the only way we, we, we fix this is by having that proper amnesty, that proper conversation about, all right, what has this actually done? Is this actually what you want? And we can separate the people that genuinely wanted things to get better, which is a lot of Brexiteers. Mm -hmm. One of the best things about the last few years is finding out the vast majority of Brexiteers are not like what you see on Question Time. They are decent, reasonable people who wanted things to get better. And we can separate them from the actual psychopaths who are happy to see people <laughs> suffer. That, 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 that's, an, that's an important thing we need to do. And you I can mean, email I, Femi at. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what you need, and it? It's more attention. Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, he's crying out for more emails. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and so that conversation needs to happen. And, yeah. But from a political standpoint, given that 
as I said before, the ideology of Brexit of taking back control is incompatible with fluid supply chains that span that span the continent. You have to essentially be part of um, at least a single market. But if you're part of a single market without a say, you cause damage. You lose that sovereignty because we're less we have less control than we did as EU members. So the only way ultimately will be rejoining the EU. So the question is, how do we how do we fix that? Well, you, you're not going to get that under a concert under a well, not certainly not under this Conservative government. Um, the only way that we um, the only path that I can see to a genuine future that is actually changed with a, a lot of the ideology behind the Brexit vote to begin with is for the people of this country to actually take back control. So many people know that their votes don't count. And so if we look at the fact that the vast, in all but three elections since the Second World War, the majority of people have voted for parties to the left of the Conservative Party because we are a progressive voting country. We can, if, if Labour commits to an electoral reform within 12 months of taking office, and they can have an electoral pact with the other parties because they know that if they actually do this, then all future votes for their parties will actually count in future. Those parties can work together, deliver a change of voting system so that all votes count. And given that in 2019, the majority of for parties committed to a second referendum, we will change the future of this country. That is the way we fix things. Beautiful. Beautifully put. And I love what you put about Brexiteers. Yeah, because I, I know quite a few Brexiteers and I are really open-minded, good people who generally wanted the best for their country. I really want to put that across. I mean, people constantly uh, say I'm always going off Brexit. I'm not. I'm going after the people in the positions of power exactly. who are supposed to have charge of this. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's not down to the vote of the people voted in good faith that they wanted to leave. And, that, and that's fair enough. But yeah, I, I think we are heading towards a second referendum. But, but, but um, Zek, what do you think it would take to heal? Louder community from the disabled, do you think? Louder voices? I, I honestly can't see a way for it. I just, I can't see a way back. I can't see, I mean, would would Europe want us back if they shut the door and gone, no, on your bike? The people really want another referendum and those that won, they'd be shouting, oh, so you didn't win the first time, you just want another go around. There's just too much upset yeah. and hatred and pointing and blaming going around. I've even heard naming no names, my mother, that the EU was doomed anyway, so it was good we got out. And I said, well, it's like jumping off a ship because you've heard it's going to sink in the next year. You know? <laughs> and, you, yeah. But Boris Gate got us the best deal possible. Yeah, I know. I know. But Mick, what do you think? Are, what, what can we do to heal as a nation? I think we all need to start facing the fact that we're about to enter a period of true Mad Max zombie apocalypse nightmare. And we need to just get ourselves ready for it. Get all your punk gear out because it's going to get really bad. Because the only way we're going to get everyone to say, can we join again? We need to join. We need to change what we've done is for it to truly and utterly go wrong. Because I'm yeah. afraid that we know what's happening and every time we say it, we get bombarded with our oh, project fear. Don't be so stupid. That's rubbish. They'll let you, you know, all the stuff we've talked about today, you get told you're just making it up. And it's yeah. like, well, until you can say, see, look, there's no food on the shelves. And, you know, your, your holiday to Torre Molinos has been cancelled and it's cost you five times as much. <laughs> to me, that's it. And, and sadly, we've, we've seen to, and this has happened around everything. We've reached a point where if you try to have a rational debate and you try to raise facts and you try to raise figures, and uh, then you're kind of some kind of evil sort of uh, doll, you know, puppet of, you know, some kind of puppet master, billionaire. And and so facts have gone. It's all about feelings and, and crazy stuff that's been found on Facebook. 
And uh, yeah, I, I can't see that changing for a while, I'm afraid. Right. So um, yeah, I'd say buckle up, folks. <laughs> with our cheerful end, we normally end on top tips, don't we? Yeah. Fasten so your seat belts, turbulence. Yeah, um, yeah. it's, it's mixed top tip, but um, my top yeah. tip is. is yeah. That's what. That's what. That's why um, I felt it was really important to, jo to join you guys because, like you said, feelings are essentially what uh, extremely powerful in, in this discussion. And I, as I said, I think the ma the majority of Brexiteers are decent people who wanted the yes. best, and nobody who can hear the suffering that you, all three of you have described in on, as a result of this can actually support this. The matter is a matter of simply getting them to hear and understand the reality yeah. of the human impact of, of of what's gone on as a result of their vote. That that sort of thing is what will turn things around. Hopefully it will. But we're, we're so used, to, uh, as we all know, to unfortunately, to, uh, this this community is very much blindsided when it comes to, to to mainstream media. We're we're not seen as cogs in the wheel, sort of thing. But I really, I really think you're absolutely spot on there, Femi. Absolutely spot on. But I, I think we're running out of time again because yeah, we, yeah, we, we always stick stick to a, a proper timeline, don't we? So yeah. Um, but whatever happens, we've got 15 now, seconds till the clock yeah. runs out, so I'll stop that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you have a second referendum, going back to the negotiating table, whatever, walk through the closet into Narnia, and everything's all tickety boo. Who knows what it is? But I think the important thing is, is we all need to listen to facts and figures. Femi himself is full of facts and figures. He's an honest guy, and I thank him so much for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate having your voice. Thank you, Mick, again, and Zek again. Zek and me, we look like before and after when we go on for a Guinness. But it's yep. just been fantastic for everyone. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm off out clubbing now. But uh, just to say, tune in next time because it's yes. my show next time. And next time, it's all about the media and myself and the wonderful Julie Fernandez will be our guest. And basically what we'll be doing is talking about the time when we used to be super famous. Uh, and it's going to be like a couple of old soldiers singing war stories about, I remember when I was somebody. Uh, but we're, the reason why I'm doing it, he says, actually, take your locks over it, freaky, is... Um, because we've seen quite a lot recently with the Paralympics. Maybe that's yes. how we get people to listen, is we'll all become really good at sport. But with that, there's been a lot of talk about how the media is going to change. And we're going to just remind you that it's not that different to what it was like when I was a young man in my 20s, which is exactly. a very long time ago. So that's what we're going to do next time. So tune in for that. And I suppose we should say goodbye. Yeah, thank, go you, see the thank you so much, mate. Keep in touch. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Mick. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of DHTV. When we have gone on about Brexit, but we do like to cover these topics because they do affect a care and disabled community. In fact, everything in society, in the end, comes back to affect us because we're always seen at the bottom line and everything happens. But there is nothing about us without us. So if there is going to be more discussion on Brexit, get yep. it all day. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.